Hello, I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock. What's a heat rock, Morgan? Oh, it's a fire jam, something flammable, a banger. Yeah, and today we'll be talking about the 1960s Philly soul group known as the Sapphires and the 1994 anthology that long last brought together their greatest hits. The Sapphires emerged out of Philly in the early 60s, and most people thought they were a girl group originally because their lead singer, Carol Jackson, was so prominent on their sides. But the trio was made up of Jackson and two male singers who somehow never, you never get to hear very much. No love, no love. George Gaynor and Joe Livingston. Though the Sapphires predate what we now think of as the lush Philly sound of the 1970s, many of the people who worked with the Sapphires became key architects Mm -hmm. of the Philly sound. But alas for the group themselves, they never stayed together long enough to see that moment arrive in the city of brotherly love. Despite a couple singles that graced the charts, they never could string together enough hits to stay around. And by the end of 1966, they'd broken up. It takes nearly 20 years for R&B fans to rediscover them on the best of anthology that we're talking about today. To talk about the best of the Sapphires, we are joined in studio by Shannon Wise and Max Schrager, otherwise known as The Shacks. Their 2017 has been pretty solid so far. Their self-titled EP came out earlier this year in one of my favorite labels, New York's Big Crown. They toured a few dozen cities from what I could see, playing alongside one of our other Heat Rocks guests, Chicano Batman, And this past fall, their most dreamy cover of the Kinks' This Strange Effect was put to very good effect in an Apple iPhone ad featuring Shannon herself walking through the streets of Los Angeles. I have to say, when we were asking you all for what albums you wanted to talk about, The Sapphires was a group I'd never heard of before, which instantly made me curious about it. And I mean, this is a band that certainly, I'm not going to you know, put anyone's age out here on Front Street, but this came out much, much before y'all were born. <laughs> why this artist and why this anthology? Well, I think all the music that we listened to basically came out between 19... 19- 38 and 1972. That's very precise. <laughs> yeah, there's a Bunny Berrigan song called I Can't Get Started With You. Mm. I think that's our late 30s. That's why I'm putting it around there. But um, so we listened to a lot of uh, soul music as well as a lot of lots of other kind of music from that from those decades. But uh, about six months ago, um, I got a 45 by the Sapphires called Who Do You Love? Mm. And the B-side is... Uh, uh, Oh, so soon. It was just fucking incredible. <laughs> and we would play it all the time in my apartment in New York, and it was like the soundtrack to our lives for a while. And when we were mastering the EP for vinyl, I worked with the mastering engineer closely, and that was one of the main records I brought to him as a reference. Wow. Yeah, because, I mean, if you listen to a lot of vinyl that comes out these days, it's really quiet and clean, which is cool. 
but we wanted to get loud and uh, nice kind of Crackle. old school sound. Yeah, I mean it's it jumps off the needle more if you if you push it more. So we brought that to him, and he's like, okay, I kind of see what you guys are talking about. <laughs> and then uh, Shannon. Yeah. And I remember the- like after Max got the forty five. I went and found the rest of the album, and I was like, holy shit, like, all of these songs are amazing. And I was a waitress at this restaurant called Cafe Mogador I in the city. I love that place. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you, have you it, shown out? Yeah. My, no, my wife used to, used to live in the East Village. She would go oh, there all wow. the time. Yeah. yeah, I was a waitress there for about a year, and every morning when I was, I was the opener, so I would work 8 to 5, but you come in at, like, 7.30 and set all the chairs up and everything, and uh, I would always, like, blast that album through the the speakers in the restaurant when I was like the only one there with the chefs. Right. So basically if you had come early to eat a Cafe Mogador and you'd heard mm-hmm. some Philly, yeah. <laughs> some early Philly soul in the background, you would have had Shannon to thank for that. <laughs> okay. So you left in September? Yeah. The end of September. I worked there for about a year. So the, there's a review from August <laughs> and it says, uh, the vibe inside was also so chill. I also love the music they were playing. Nice. Oh, wow. So shout out to you, Shannon, <laughs> nice. changing lives. Yelp game recognized game <laughs> For sure. In Cafe Mogador. I try. You know? <laughs> So the Sapphires belong to this really, I mean, just endlessly vast community of almost stars that came out in the 1960s. And they're really in this interesting moment between towards the end of the girl group era, but the sort of what we think of as soul music in the late 60s has not yet taken flight. And, you know, other groups that I think of in that same little moment is the Larks out of L.A. or the Jewels out of D.C. And really, I mean, there were so many aspiring groups like this. What was it about the Sapphires that stood out to both of you in terms of whatever that magical, ineffable quality is? I mean, I don't know. I just think they're really special because all of their... I mean, on that album, there are a lot of songs that are super poppy, Mm -hmm. like very similar to a lot of other songs that came out around then. But I think a lot of the ones on that album are like they have the right amount of pop but not too much and they also have these weird really cool chords that make them really different than a lot of the stuff the other stuff Uh, yeah and i would say what you just described is basically the thesis of our music um we want to make something you know it's a good song in a classical sense like for instance, we're really into the song Rock Island Line by Lead Belly right now, which is like an incredible song. I mean, it's an incredible song, but it's very straightforward. And the structure is like brutally straightforward. And we were we were driving through Arizona past all these like really scenic trains and mountains just listening to that song. And it made so much sense. It's just an American song, <laughs> just mm. solid and simple and catchy and just great. So we want that aspect. But we also want to get some weird chords in there and some interesting harmonic stuff going on. One thing I like about this album and a lot of the songs is that they're quiet. Mm. They're not overpowering. Not that that's a bad thing, but they're not big like Martha and the Vandellas and right, the Supremes, right. right? You got the layered vocals. Yeah. You know, you have the arrangement, you have the orchestration, but it's quiet. It's yeah, subtle. Totally. Uh, so you get a chance to hear the vocals and you get a chance to hear the lyrics. I think that's sort of what separates, at least to me, um, this group and this these sounding groups from yeah. some of the other sounds of Motown. Motown was big. Yeah, that's it was a, bigger. That's a brilliant observation. That yeah. definitely captures it. Though I, I think a lot of stuff, a lot of the songs on here seem to be responding to or influenced by Motown. Um, you know, I, one question I wanted to throw out is, would we consider the Sapphires and, and the music they were putting out, is this Philly soul in the way we think of Philly soul? I mean, they're a soul group out of Philadelphia, but it's, I mean, we're still half a decade before you know, MFSB and all, sure. all these other groups. Is this a Philly soul album? I'll, th- I'll throw this to the crowd here. 
<laughs> That's a good question because I think you have to, you know, make the distinction between how, you know, soul groups of the 60s and 70s were sort of, you know, you know, handled by region. You had mm-hmm. Stax Volt out of Memphis. Right. You had Motown out of Detroit. And then you had Philadelphia. To me, it's... It, it, it's very it's Motown esque, mm-hmm. and sort of you got you know the girl, and you got sort of layered vocals, and it mm-hmm. sounds like three girls, but it's one to your point earlier. Yeah, so yeah. it has it has it has Motown esque leanings, but I think what makes it Philly soul is it is the quietness that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Mm. My introduction to Philly soul was actually the OJ's yeah, right. and from Soul Train, oh, yeah. right? I didn't know that it was called yeah. Philly soul. I just yeah. knew Love Train. And I was like, this is a jam. I was little, but I was like, this is a jam. <laughs> what an incredible jam. What an incredible jam. <laughs> so that was my introduction, you know. Um, and then later on, uh, McFadden and, and Whitehead. Right, Whitehead. Right. And so the soulful element, I mean, underneath this sort of Motowny layer, you've got some guttural soul, the lyrics. We'll talk about evil one a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. But one thing about Philly is like, you know, you got backstabbers, you got some like legit lyrics that are <laughs> yeah. not couched in some sort of like <laughs> right, right. other, yeah. you, you feel me there? Yeah, 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 totally. It's, yeah, more more intimate and like personal almost. That's it. There's that There's that one song I, I, I guess we're going to talk about later um, about breaking up for a while let's break up yeah. for a right. while yeah. <laughs> which is a weird weird lyrical yeah, concept but, but kind of great too makes sense yeah. yeah but lately with you I can't do nothing right oh, 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 oh. I mean your thoughts on sort of where does this fit within kind of the lineage of, of Philadelphia soul well it does. I'll tell you a funny story I grew up in Princeton New Jersey and um my friend's mom was in the lighting business, like selling fancy lamps, I guess. Um, and uh, the guitar player from MFSB, TJ Tyndall, he owned a lighting store in Princeton. And I went to his store to meet him because I, we I was a musician already recording. I was in like 10th grade recording on tape in my basement with our drummer, Ben. And I just went in there to meet him, network, you know. And he was kind of like gruff and like didn't really want to talk about music. But he handed me some cassettes because I had gotten into a discussion with him about that I record on tape and cassette. And he's like, oh, can you transfer these for me? I was like, yeah, man. So I took them home and put, did some EQ. And there were some like weird live recordings from the 80s from the New Jersey music scene mm. of like country mm. music. It was kind of beautiful, though. It was and all like really murky sounding in the cassettes. I still remember some of the songs. And I did some little EQ, and I put it on the computer and gave it to him on a CD, and I wrote Mastered by Max Schrager. And I, <laughs> I handed that to him, and he, he laughed a little bit. And, uh, yeah, that was my story with TJ Tindall. He has since passed away, but um, that was... That was um, your contribution to the Philly Soul exactly, movement yep. right there. But to answer your question, um, I don't... In my, in my mind, I don't associate the Sapphires with Philly Soul whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, just purely ba- based on the sonics and the feeling sure. like i do i see how it is also related to motown but mm-hmm. as i'm listening to it i'm not thinking about motown at all just because of the f- the feeling is different to me even if the instrumentation and stuff is the same yeah somewhat you know similar yeah i mean i agree with that i think i can also see a lot of things that are similar with all the motown stuff like in gotta have your love like i mean the the main part is like To me, it seems more similar to some of the Motown stuff. Um, But then it goes into that other section, which is just totally different. And, like, the chords and the melody there just remind, like, they don't really remind me of anything. It's kind of their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk more at length about Gotta Have Your Love, but let's go ahead and tease the audience with a a little taste of it right now. 
is what's so interesting about this group is just the configuration is I can't think of that many trios that comprised of a lead female singer and then two male singers. And as we were joking before, like, I'm not sure where George and Joe go in this. I mean, they're there. They're, their background harmonizing is, is super solid. It, it certainly is a really important effect. But I really wonder, they, they, they couldn't just get like a B-side lead on, on one yeah. of these songs? <laughs> right, right. It sounds like soft and gentle and beautiful, but it's... Like, if I were to compare it to the way I sing, like, on a lot of our recordings, there's, like, a lot more air in it, and it's more quiet. Like, her voice is not quiet, I would say. Like, it's quiet in one sense, but in the literal, like, right. strength of it, it's it's powerful. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. I think I think she sounds a lot, Shannon sounds a lot like, um, what's her name, Carol? Like like Carol, and when I when I first started yeah. listening to the Sapphires, I like oh sh- sh- this is like Shannon's <laughs> counterpart from the from the sixties, which is pretty cool. Interesting, it's a unique sound. Yeah, this was a really interesting choice of of album, partly because it's it's an anthology and it's the first compilation that we've discussed on Heat Rocks. And on the one hand, I think Morgan and I were thinking, well, does that even count as an album? Mm. But then I remembered that even though. The um, the Sapphires had their own LP that came out in 1964 uh, called "Where Do You uh, Who Do You Love." You know, albums in the in the early 60s were basically compilations, anyways, right? right. I mean, they were just Absolutely. collections yeah. of the hit singles right. or, yeah. or want to be hit singles, but there was no sort of effort to create like a narrative or a story through it. And so, what I'm wondering here is listening to this as a collection and as an anthology. How is it different for you, if it is at all, in how you're listening to it versus if this had been something that, let's say, had come out 10 years after, it would have probably had much more of an album structure mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of how we think of it? Um, I'm su- Listening through the entire compilation, I'm always surprised by how many good songs there are on it mm. because, you know, listen to a lot of compilations and there's some great songs and some sk- skippers. And this one has like three or four skippers, but the rest of them are really strong, like song after song. We listened to it in the car the other day. Um, but I, I hadn't really listened to it all the way through as an album until the other day. It's been more sort of a track-by-track thing that Shannon plays in the car and stuff, and I've been discovering it through that. But yeah, the album element isn't something that's too prominent in, in my relationship with this right. record. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> I mean, because I think all the songs on there that I love, which is most of them... Like, if I just play the album, like every pretty much every song I'm gonna is like a right. song that I love. So I don't I don't know I don't really think it's that important that an album has some specific narrative. Right, right. has it doesn't have to be a concept album. You know, every yeah. album. I'm wondering when you were you know putting this on and when you were working your early shift at the restaurant, <laughs> were you ever tempted to go to the CD player and be like, all right, I'm I'm not really feeling track 17 here. I'm just gonna skip past oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Just, yeah. Okay. I mean, I I I would do that. I mean. There was maybe one or two right. I would skip, like the rest of it. Well, speaking of unskippable songs, I know Morgan has one of them on here. This one's called Evil One. You know about this compilation if you look through, like, you know what the subject matter is. Okay. Mm, right. <laughs> We've got your true love. Who do you love? Come on and love me. Thank you for loving me. Our love is everywhere. <laughs> Gotta have love. your love, right? <laughs> Who do you love? There's no shortage of love. No shortage <laughs> of love. And then you get evil one. Mm. Yeah. Just sneaks yeah. up on you like yo. And there's another. I don't know which song it is, but she says something like I'm. 
I think she says, I'm barely 16, but my heart is full of desire. Yeah. Mm. So... this album for sort of the little cryptic you know just when you thought we were a pop group we've got some fire yeah. in here and this is one of my, my favorite songs I also wanted to mention that I'm glad that Shannon you're talking about working in a restaurant because as a music supervisor one of my favorite um, cues to do is a restaurant scene and yeah. I always go for 60 I'm always grabbing you know this era of music or trying to pitch it because it has nostalgia mm-hmm. and very if you pay attention to films a lot of times when there's some deep you know scene they're always pulling it doesn't matter what the time is Baby Driver is one of them. Yeah, that's funny. I was just thinking of Baby Driver. Um, Baby yeah, Driver. Yeah. I don't know what it is about this music, but it's it just it grabs you because the subject matter is all love and it, it, it yeah. lends itself to nostalgia. Yeah, I, I I think that's interesting because there is something about the 50s and 60s that's an in, ineffable quality. I mean, I definitely think nostalgia is part of it. There was something in the air or the water, yeah. maybe, because even the <laughs> shitty material that came out then still has that quality to it. That no matter how hard you try today, you can't make something to fool an educated ear that it's from the 60s. It's just the water or the air, literally. Mm. Right. Mm. And there's a lot lot to that. And it's, you know, it's crazy. Sound (laughs) alikes won't do it. You have to have that authentic 50s and 60s sound. Mm -hmm. There's just something about it. Moonlight was another one that made great use. Mm. We'll be back with more of our conversation with the Shacks about the best of the Sapphires after a brief word from our fellow Max Fun podcasts. Hi, everybody. I'm your oldest brother, Justin McElroy. I'm your middlest brother, Travis McElroy. And I'm your sweet baby brother, Griffin McElroy. Me and 3,000 of your closest friends just found your next podcast obsession. Cereal! Okay, but like, the second best podcast. 99% Oh, f***. Just listen to my brother, my brother, and me on MaximumFun.org. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. What's Ben Affleck and or Drake up to? What show should I be watching right now? Should The Rock run for president? How about Oprah? What's a great French film about lady cannibals? Who's stronger, Luke Cage or Iron Fist? For answers to these questions and so much more, come on over to Pop Rocket, a pop culture roundtable discussion that always has a fun, diverse panel talking about the stuff we love. Catch us every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you decide to get your podcast. I'm not going to judge. We're back on Heat Rocks talking about the best of the Sapphires. That is Your True Love, one of the songs off the anthology. And we are joined in studio by the Shacks, Shannon Wise and Max Schrager. What was your introduction to, like, you know, 60 soul music? Like, what was the first record that you mm. bought from this era of music? For me, Otis Redding, the one with the history of Otis Redding, I think it's the LP. It's got, like, a book cover. It's got, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Right, exactly. Right. I had that on in ninth grade, and my friend Lucas, shouts out to Lucas in uh, Munich, I think, somewhere in Germany he lives. He, he, he was also into Otis Redding. He had a cool dad. 
I, my dad wasn't it's cool but he wasn't a toy spreader <laughs> I found it myself at the Prince of Records change but I mean that stuff like try a little tenderness oh, yeah. it's like it just like the best and then it will, then the exciting Wilson Pickett's the other LP the pink one with him Ooh. jumping on the cover yeah. which has uh, It's All Over Now which is a beautiful ballad and that those two records for me what about you? Stacks. I remember when I was really little, there was um, a Borders Books near my apartment in uh, the city. And whenever we would go there, they would have all these CDs that you could like put on headphones and like somehow maybe scan them or listen yeah. to them a little. And there was this one that was like a compilation of like 50s and 60s. Like it was called like. 25 bubblegum jukebox hits or something (laughs) and every time we would go there i would listen to it like for 30 seconds or however much it would give you and then i eventually just like saved up my (laughs) tiny bit of money and just bought it and (laughs) played it like a thousand times i remember um love grows where my rosemary goes was like one of my favorites oh my love grows where my rosemary like yeah it was great <laughs> shout out to borders yeah, yeah. <laughs> shaping young minds young talent out of there. as well as princeton record exchange I've, I've, sure. I've dug through there at some point in the past oh my god i bought all their for all their good 45s when i was in high school oh, is that why i couldn't find anything I by the time i got <laughs> <laughs> thanks max seriously i go back there now and the, i don't think they've replenished the 45s fully, but it's a great record store they have a lot of great lps cheap as you guys are touring behind your first project, I want to ask you, you both have you know, quite a background in music um, individually. How did you figure out you know, what you wanted to sound like? What did you want the sound of the group to be? How did you get there? Like the third time I ever met Shannon, we were in high school, she came over to my aunt's apartment in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, where I was living. And uh, I had a four-track cassette machine that I would make demos on. And um, I had written a song the night before after hanging out with her, called Birds, which is going to be on the LP that's going to come out in March, our first full-length, mm. entitled Haze. And I'm like, hey, do you want to do the, do some background vocals on this? And she just overdubbed some background vocals. Mm-hmm. Or we may have sung it together, and then you overdubbed another part. No, it was harmonies on what you sang. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded just, it was so cool. It was so <laughs> fucking cool. And we were, that, it was just there. The sound was, was there. Um so we never really figured, we never really consciously decided on having a certain sound or anything. So it was organic. You hadn't had a conversation yeah, about this is going to be the all. look. That's not cool. at all. We were, I mean, we work more based on process than kind of ideas because my personal philosophy as like a producer and uh, with having the band is that all you can control is how much work you put in. You can't control the end result. Sure. So we just try to be prolific and just be ourselves. And, and the style comes from that. Try to let the style come from that. Mm-hmm. I'm also wondering, especially to the extent that you are, and you, you were talking earlier about taking, you know, one of the records from uh, the Sapphires and bringing it to, I guess, either the engineer or the mastering uh, editor. Mastering guy, yeah. Yeah, and, and basically saying, we want it to sort of like, you know, sound like this part of it. And, you know, you, you two of you are assigned to, to Big Crown, um, yes, you know, Leon Michaels. He has a very, very deep background alongside of Daptone and yeah. uh, that whole crew in Brooklyn. And I know they hate... Everyone hates the term retro soul, but the idea here is that you're drawing from the past as a way to think about how to make music in the present. And Mm -hmm. so when you're listening to something like the Sapphires or like the Heptones or these other things, what is it that you're listening for that you can inspire – that inspires you or that you can incorporate into your own sound? 
it's a lot about the feeling of it. It's not one specific thing that you can pin down. It's like, for example, like the song um, Party Time by the Heptones, like it just kind of surrounds you and like maybe, or even off this album, I know one of the songs, um, Hearts Were Made to Be Broken, yeah. like in the intro, like you can't tell if it's the harmonies or like horns or what it is, like that melody, it's, it's kind of everything at the same time. With the Sapphires album, I would say uh, I'm, I'm I know I'm listening to the vocal sounds, the mm-hmm. way it's recorded, and using that as inspiration for engineering recording Shannon's vocals, mm. which can be interesting. Different microphones, different placements, stuff like that. Um, that's one thing that I'm, I'm listening for. For each of you, uh, and I don't, you might have a shared answer. You might have two different answers. What are the fire tracks of this anthology, Shannon? Why don't you start us off? Well. I really like um, I've Got Mine, You Better Get Yours. That's probably one of my favorites. What are you hearing here? I really like this song because, I don't know, it's it's almost, it's really catchy in a pop kind of way. Like, the melody just sticks with you, but it's not like any pop, you know, pop, like, popular melodies of that time. Right. Like, like for example, like, the Marvelettes or the Supremes, like, it's very, like, um, what's the word like major almost like it's yeah. you don't see a lot of like minor kind mm. of chords and melodies and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i think this song has that which is really cool um that it's also so catchy and like it makes sense you know and then but then also towards the end it like it kind of gets a little major and there's this crazy organ like solo that's that's really cool too the i really organ. like that And Max, how about you? What is your fire track off of here? I think I'm going to have to go with Who Do You Love. I typically go for more underdog tracks, but to fit the definition of fire track, which to me is something that a lot of people relate can relate to really quickly, and it's the first song that I heard, and it's something that just immediately reaches out and grabs you. So I guess and, that's fire. And the, and the group's biggest hit. I mean, it only yeah. peaked right. at, I think, 25, so it wasn't like a you know, number one by any means, but it's, it's as close as they got in that direction. Yeah. yeah. Let's take a listen. The bell on the cymbal, the way he's playing that bell, mm. um, that's something I always am telling Ben, the drummer, to do, you know, play it on the bell. That's a great technique, and the sound that they have there is just makes the record for me. 
I gotta ask about the sleeper track mm-hmm. because for me that sleeper track is slow fizz. Mm. Uh, doesn't get a lot of the love. That's fire to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's fire. And, and although it doesn't get the love and doesn't get the hype, obviously, of, of who do you love and, uh, and got to have your love. And as the song starts, in my mind, it conjures up. I'm waiting for someone to jump out of the window and say, stop in the name of love. Right. Because mm, it's got yeah. that. Yes. It's getting you. It's getting you yeah, hyped. Yeah. Um, but I, lo- I love the subtlety yeah. of that. Even with that big buildup, yeah. her vocals still comes yeah, in yeah. smooth and subtle. Yeah. And that to me is the distinction yeah. between the Motown sound mm-hmm. and, and what they're given. You know, yeah. um, that, that it's not nowhere to yeah. run, nowhere to hide. Yeah. You know, which sometimes used to scare me because the vocals were so big. I'd be like, well, damn. The melody is really similar actually right about it to nowhere to run nowhere to hide it is it's really similar it but, is. but who cares because it's a, it's a dancing <laughs> dancing jam it is it is a dancing jam so that's my that's my sleeper jam that's a great song yeah i'm just going to play music nerd for a second because that's what i do but i noticed on this album there is another song on here baby you've got me which uses the same backing track as slow fizz and i was really confused mm-hmm. by hearing it what? twice so i went back and found the liner notes and realized this was an action an unreleased song it's the only unreleased track that appears on the anthology everything else that appears in the best of uh, um, the sapphires came out in some form except for this one song baby you've got me they just changed the lyrics but I, you know i mean we talk about we were joking earlier about how artists recycle elements yeah this was like a literal recycle like let's just use the yeah. same track and put new lyrics on it yeah what is your sleeper jams off of this the one that i thought was hearts are made to be broken mm. yeah because yeah. yeah, that's literally that. like a, it's yeah. like a lullaby or something <laughs> Soundtrack ready. I'm all yeah. about the slow jams from this era, especially. Mm-hmm. What are you hearing here that, that you're enamored with? I think also this, like, this is what we were talking about earlier, or what I was trying to say earlier about how, like, in the intro, the harmonies and the the horns are kind of singing and playing the same thing, mm-hmm. but it all kind of melts together and it just creates this this atmosphere. I guess is what we were saying. That's really beautiful. It's kind of spooky to me. It's very yes. like haunting. Yeah, absolutely. I love Hearts Are Made to Be Broken. I think it's a great sleeper track, but um, my favorite in that same vein is the song that comes right after that on the anthology, and that is Let's Break Up for a While. So there's a little of on Broadway in here, like the yeah, melody seems a little right. reminiscent, but it's just a little bits of instrumentation, that little, the whistle, the little yeah, rattle. Yeah. Production. I, oh yeah, my God. I love those little elements to it. Um, and it's this, it's one of those things where you, I think there's a tendency, at least from, for, from my perspective, that we, there's a tendency to maybe look upon music 
of the past as being more simplistic than today because we have, you know, 64 track studios and you can do all these things with computers and et cetera. But you think about every little element that these groups like this, that, you know, certainly out of Motown, the little touches are really what makes these these things memorable. To me, arrangement is the most important part of uh, like a recorded song. In terms of the way a song sounds, I think you can mix it all you want and you can change it a certain amount by mixing it. But the arrangement that's actually, you know, the, co- the harmonic content that's in there to begin with is uh, determines the way it sounds. And, it, and if you have a certain type of arrangement and it kind of works out, little things like that organ line just occupy their own yeah. space. Right. It's like you, you could add that exact same sound, exact same line to another song where it would work melodically, but if it's a different arrangement or it doesn't quite fit into the puzzle the right way, it's not going to have that impact. And this was a well-arranged, well-produced song. I mean, every the echo on the, on the hi-hats and stuff is amazing. The whole, the whole thing is a complete... And the arrangement isn't, isn't as dramatic as the title would suggest. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. big <laughs> and sweeping. Yeah. It sneaks in there real quiet. It does, totally. It pulls you in. I was going to add the nerd note that, and I don't know if we talked about this already, but uh, some of the uh, supporting cast. Oh yeah, we, we should get into this because this is, this is kind of a big deal. I mean, I, I was saying earlier that the Sapphires themselves never—I mean, they never really blew up, right? I mean, they right. were only around for three years. They recorded less than two dozen sides during that time. But you look at the personnel and the talents that were around them at this in this era. Um, Jerry Ross was their producer. Mm-hmm. He became massively Huge. popular and, and successful by the by the end of the decade and certainly in the seventies. And then their songwriter was Kenny Gamble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I don't remember if if Huff wrote on for them, but certainly this was the era that Gamble was getting his feet wet as sure. songwriter that would lead to his partnership with Gamble and Huff. Um, and one of the songs I think we're about to listen to in a minute, they have as backup singers. I love this. They have Melba Moore. And then Ashford and Simpson before they were known as Ashford <laughs> and Simpson Earl, just doing backup for them, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of amazing. And I think it really, I mean, was this nineteen sixty five? This is the mid sixties, yeah, sixty three to sixty six. I think it just speaks to the fact that everyone has a beginning. So mm-hmm. no matter who, how big they got, you can trace them back to where they were nobodies, relatively right. yeah. speaking. But because they stayed with it, then. You know, things, what opportunities manifest, and they are able to build on that. So, someone like an Ashford and Simpson, they got their start as backup singers in right. Philly yeah. in 1965 at some point. And that's a significant point because they went on to write hits, yeah. hit after hit after hit. So, it was very humbling to find out that they were background singers. You know, you obviously not a stranger to cover songs, uh, as we well know. If you had to pick a song off of here, which one would you cover and why? Gotta have your love. Gotta have your yeah. love. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I just like sing this song all the time. So it's like in my head, or I mean, I'm I sing all the parts, but it's I mean, it'd be cool parts. to sing it with other it's people great too. Vocal parts. And it's so joyous. It is. I mean, our our, our engineer, in, you know, through the window is is basically nodding her head back and forth yeah. with them, like <laughs> it. it's so infectious. <laughs> would you arrange it the same way? I would. Uh, yeah, I would put the put the song on the speakers with the band in the room, and I'd say everybody learn the part. Uh, drummer, piano player. I'll learn basically the guitar part, bass part, 
And then uh, once we kind of have that down, kind of verbatim, you know, just by virtue of playing it ourselves and doing it ourselves, it's going to sound like us. Um, we can't make it sound like the original. We're not trying to, but we're, you know, by trying to be faithful to it, that's the process that we would take. Probably. Sure. Got to have that tambourine in too. Oh, yeah. This may be an, an impossible question to answer, but why wasn't this group more successful? I mean, they seem to have the right talents in place. I mean, we've been singing praises to sort of the quality of the songwriting and the arrangements, the production. Why are the, why are the Sapphires sort of forgotten? That's just something I, I just can't understand. Right. My guess is that maybe the market was oversaturated. There were yeah. a lot, tough, of, a lot tough, of groups. Tough, tough, tough. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, th- 50, 11 groups, and how do you, how do you choose? Yeah. How do you yeah. get to the Sapphires? Yeah. That said, I mean, they're different than a lot of the groups of the time. They are. But I think, you know, people just had a lot to choose from, and so it was hard to, to hone in. So if you had to describe uh, this compilation in three words, what would they be? Haunting. I was going to say that. Um, <laughs> Garagey. Garagey? Garagey. Garagey, okay. There are elements to this that are rough around the edges. Maybe enchanting? Yeah. There we go. There we go. That's it. Got to have enchanting. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guests, The Shacks, who are Shannon Wise and Max Schrager. Their most recent release is The Shacks, an EP released through Big Crown. And you, you mentioned before you're working on your full length. Full length is finished Done. in the can, coming out in March. And also on Big Crown. I on suppose. Big Crown. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Where can people find more info on you? Well, they can uh, go to the uh, Instagram, Shacks Band. They can go to Facebook, which is technically called Shaq's Band, but I think if you type in the Shaq's, you'll find it. Yeah, and we also have a little website with our tour dates and all of that. Yeah, we're on we're on tour, and we'll be on tour more over the next couple months, so look out for us in your hometown, and we'll sign, sign some records for you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, so glad awesome. to have you guys. This is dope. I'm sad to leave. Don't Me leave. Too. Stay right up in here. <laughs> You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown One by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to him for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Morgan Rhodes, and Kara Hart. And today's episode was engineered and edited by Kara. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com. That's where we'll post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and more goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. Good to see you all. Good to see you too, Morgan. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.